What a privilege to come up here and open up God's Word with you today. We're talking about responding to doubt this morning. Something we all face, something we all deal with. Something some of you may be struggling with this morning. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. And um, stand with me to read God's Word. You know, it's true we all have doubts and and a lot of times it's because we don't trust someone or something, and sometimes that helps us to get to truth. And, uh, you know, we'll say, hey, I, I doubt if that's a real diamond, or I doubt that story I heard, or I doubt if they're telling the truth. And, and so doubt can help us discern the truth, but more often than not, what doubt does is it obscures the truth in our lives, and it makes us lose sight of what's important. And so what we see today is that we're really going to learn today that doubt doesn't do us any good. And, and that God wants to rid us of, of doubt, and, and there's a, a way that that happens. And what we're going to see today is Jesus lovingly and graciously and, and firmly responding to Peter's doubts. And then what we'll see in that is that, that God deals similarly with us as well. So let's read. We're going to read Matthew 14. We'll begin at verse 22 and go all the way to verse 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea... They were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. And Lord, thank You for the miraculous things that are recorded there. Your Word itself is miraculous. And Lord, this is one of the biggies in terms of what You have done. Lord, we pray that You would teach us today. We pray that You would get us out of the way, that we would be not obscuring the message but that and that i my words would not obscure but rather uh, put a a spotlight on the message we pray lord uh, that you would have your way with us today we pray in jesus name amen please be seated so look uh you know last week we did the feeding of the five thousand and and we're, we're thinking boy everyone knows this story well Everyone knows about that Jesus walked on the water. You know, even whether they believe it or not, it's like, hey, I, I know there's a story about Jesus walking on the water. And one of his disciples, I think, uh, did 
did a little bit of that too. Verse 22, Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000. And we see him do something immediately, which is kind of interesting, why he would be so immediate with this. But he makes his disciples get into a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. Just, you know, get out of here. Go ahead. I, I'm going to dismiss the crowds. And you kind of have to wonder, why would Jesus do this? What's the rush? Why do they have to be out of the way while he's dismissing the crowds? Well, the reason why is because the crowds, you might remember from John chapter 6, wanted to take Jesus by force and make him their king. And so Jesus, I think what he's doing here is he's protecting his disciples from the crowds, but also probably from themselves. They may have been swayed by the enthusiasm of the crowds. But he sends them away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And then verse 23 tells us that after he sent the crowds away, he goes up on the mountain by himself to pray. You might remember that this is what he was trying to do before he fed the 5,000 and before he taught them and healed their sick. He's trying to get alone. God the Son was trying to get alone with God the Father in prayer. And here he finds that solitude. Here he, he finds that seclusion, that, that, that place for a time of prayer, and he focuses in on it. Verse 23 tells us that when evening came, he was there alone. And verse 24 tells us where the disciples were. The disciples were in this boat. They were having a tough time of it on the sea. Their boat was being basically rocked by this storm. Not uncommon to happen on the Sea of Galilee. But this is the middle of the night as well. And so it's dark and it's, it's cold and it's windy and there's lots of waves. And, and um, it says the boat was a long way from shore. Some translations say many stadia. A stadion was about 600 feet, about 200 yards, about 180 meters. And, and so it was out there. A, long, a lot of those, it was out there. Probably three miles out. Nowhere near land. And, and it says that the boat was being beaten, literally tormented, by the waves. And it says that the wind was against them, literally contrary. That it was opposed to them. It was not helping them, but hindering them their progress going across the Sea of Galilee. And verse 25 tells us, and this is where a lot of people start saying, well, you know, this is just one of those, it's one of those things that, you know, God uh, didn't really want us to think was real. But yes, this is one of those things God wants you to think is real. Uh, verse 24 says, uh, you know, that the boat was out there, and verse 25 then tells us that in the fourth watch of the night now we don't count time like that either did the Jews um, now the fourth watch of the night was between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning and you know the, the the Hebrews divided the night into three periods basically early middle and late and and the, but the Romans used four periods from six to nine and nine to twelve and twelve to three and and three to six and this was the the three to six segment the last part of the night and and i don't know if it was because matthew had been a tax collector but he's using roman way of uh of marking time and it says that at this time that jesus came walking to them on the water now i know every time we read a story like this we imagine it in our heads and it's like when you read a book you imagine what it looked like you know you can imagine you see you can you can picture it there's big huge crashing waves and there's wind whipping the waves up and and the boats getting rocked to and fro and 
The guys are sea- I get seasick and things like that. I get seasick thinking about it, actually. <laughs> I, I literally. And, and, and then, but then here's Jesus walking on the water. But see, Jesus is, 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 not, uh, is not overseen by the forces of nature. He'd be walking steadily. He's not rocked and shaken by the, by the waves or the wind. He's just kind of coming out like, you know, moving, you know, like in the movie, what, the, uh, la- um, the one about the cross? I forget the movie's name, but where, where this one figure just keeps kind of sliding across the screen. Jesus is like literally just kind of coming through and not moved. So they cry out, it's a ghost. They're terrified, and they don't know what's up, and, and they cry out in fear. What would we have done? Probably the same thing, right? Verse 28, uh, excuse me, verse 27, Jesus immediately, you see Jesus do some immediate things here. Here, he immediately speaks to them. He's going to reassure them. He's going to give them some assurance that this really is him. So he says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And you think that would would be good, right? So verse 28, then there's Peter. I don't know what kind of idea you have of Peter, how much you know about Peter, what kind of thoughts you have about Peter. It probably all depends on how much like Peter you are. But but Peter, bold and, and impulsive as always, says to Jesus, I love this, if it's you, command that I come out on the water and walk with you. And I'm thinking... They're in a big storm. Why would he even need to ask this? What's going on here? And, and now, we've got to look at this, this question that he asked. He basically says, Lord, if it is you, and a lot of people will say, ooh, he's doubting Jesus. Hey, we're talking about doubt here, but this isn't the doubt that we're going to be focusing on. In fact, this isn't even doubt. I'll submit to you that this is confidence. This is confident faith. See, uh, if it is you can be translated, since it is you. I think that Peter's saying, since it's you, I have confidence in you. I know you are over nature. I've seen it before, back in chapter 8. He's in awe of Christ's authority over nature. And so um, he, he says, let me do this too. Let me come out and walk to you on the water. He's asking Jesus to let him do something that's humanly impossible. Has Peter seen Jesus do anything humanly impossible yet in his life? Reams of things, right? Lots of things he's, ha- he's seen him do. And so, what did he just see? I mean, oh, feeding the 5, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 people. Now, you notice that Peter didn't just jump out of the boat. There are other times in, in the Gospels that Peter jumped out of boats. But this time, Peter did not get out of the boat until he had Jesus' call to do so. He knew he couldn't do this on his own. That's why he's asking Jesus. He's not expressing doubt, but confidence. And and verse 29, Jesus gives him the call. He says, come, come on. And so Peter gets out of the boat, walks on the water, and comes to Jesus. Can't you see him doing? He's baby-stepping to Jesus. And and it's looking good, right? He's going to get to Jesus. It's amazing. Can you imagine what the guys in the boat were thinking? Dude, look at, look, wow, look. But look at verse 30. When, when he saw the wind. When he saw the wind, uh, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cries out, uh, Lord, save me. Now, a lot of us would say, man, I can't believe he did that. Well, I wouldn't have even got out of the boat. 
but, but, but get this. He knew that Jesus was powerful to save him. And so he, he cries out, Lord, save me. And here is Jesus doing another immediate thing. Verse 31, he immediately reaches out his hand, takes hold of him. He did not hesitate to help his, his bold, weak disciple. And then he said something to him, and he said it before they got into the boat. He said to him, oh, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? Verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. It ceased. So Jesus must have planned the wind on purpose here. Kind of like Sarah was saying this morning, you know, God was prepping her for something greater than she would have chosen for herself. Well, God, Jesus, was prepping his disciples for something greater than they could choose for, than they would choose for themselves. And, and, and then you think they should have learned the lesson from chapter 8 about him stilling the storm, but hey, they're human beings. Weak. Peter, bold, but weak. Verse 33, those in the boat worshipped him. Those in the boat worshipped Jesus as a result. Now, worship means to fall down before one and worship them. And, and, and what they said in their worship was, truly, you are the Son of God. This is the first time in Matthew's Gospel that they do this. And that they say such a thing. God's Son means the one who comes from God and is God. They are declaring to Jesus truth. About himself. That's the story. What do we see in, in relation to doubt, in terms of responding to doubt? What happens? What we see is this, and I, I will put this as really the main point here that God wants us to constantly depend on unchanging biblical truth so that we would not doubt, but that we would worship him. You see that in this story. That God wanted Peter and the men in the boat to constantly depend on what doesn't change. And he didn't want them to doubt. He wanted them to worship him. Cool thing is, that's what happened at the end. That, it, it came out to a good place. But let me give you three things that, that this passage reveals about doubt. And then we're going to look at, uh, at three things that counteract doubt. Okay, that's where we'll go. But first of all, three things that that this, that this passage reveals regarding doubt. That you could call them downfalls of doubt, whatever you want to call them, pitfalls that you don't want to fall into. Okay? The first is that doubt obscures eternal truths. Doubt keeps us from seeing the truth. So, verse 25, Jesus is coming to them walking on water. That's true. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were afraid and said, it's a ghost. That's false. They cried out in fear. That's not good. And, and verse 27, Jesus says to them, take heart, it's I, don't be afraid. That's true. Peter answered, well, okay, then let me go out to you on the water. And, and then he walks in the water toward Jesus, but then he, he's afraid. Not good. You see this back and forth. See, Peter forgot what Jesus just said. His doubt caused him to, to uh, not see the truth. Doubt causes us to lose sight of eternal truths. 
Second thing you see about doubt is that doubt feeds on fear. Doubt has a feeding frenzy on fear. Being afraid and not trusting God causes us to doubt. And fear leads to irrational thinking. Let's go back again. Verse 26. The disciples see him walking on the sea. They're terrified. Uh, That's fear. Big fear. And, And they say, it's a ghost. The Greek word phantasma, where we get our word phantom. They cry out in fear. That's the Greek word phobos, where we get our word phobia. And and what they're thinking is that an evil spirit is trying to deceive them. That it looks like Jesus, but it really isn't. But verse 27, Jesus speaks to them and says, Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Literally, stop being afraid. It's in the present imperative, which is a command to do something constantly. But here, it's a command to stop doing something that you're already doing constantly. Stop being afraid. Verse 30, but when Peter saw the wind, remember Jesus had just said stop being afraid. He sees the wind, he is afraid. The internal battle going on. He's overwhelmed by the effects of the storm. So he begins to sink. He's watching the storm, not the Lord. And he cries out to God, save me. Lord, save me. Jesus, save me. Because he knew that Jesus was the one powerful to save him, to rescue him. But he was afraid. He believed more about the storm's power than Jesus' power at that moment. That's what fear does to us. That's what doubt breeds, is thinking irrational things about things that that really aren't true. We're on vacation a couple years ago in Tennessee, which we've gone to a a lot. You got to go there. It's a beautiful place. But we went to the hidden, what was it called? The Lost Sea. Lost Sea. And what it is, is Angela had always wanted to go since she was a kid. So we go. And there's billboards all over the place, Lost Sea. And it's this underground cave, cavern. It's like three miles down underground, just where I wanted to go. And, uh, and, and, and there's this underground lake with, you know, 10-foot-long trout and stuff like that. And, and uh, well, they look that big way down there. And, and what you do, here's what you do. You pay money. You pay to walk down this long, long corridor and then keep walking downstairs and then keep walking and keep walking and keep walking and keep walking. Then they put you in a boat on a lake, like a mile underground. I hated it. Ariana told me. Ariana says, uh, she's 13 now, but at the time she's probably about 10, and she says, she goes, I started crying when they turned the lights out. And I'm like, I wanted to cry when they turned the lights out. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not the bravest guy in the world. And then this one, I was thinking the entire time, we're going to die. <laughs> but at least I'm with Angela and the kids and, and Mama and Papa. And, and uh, we'll all be with Jesus at the same time because it's all going to come crashing down. I was thinking all sorts of irrational things. And yes, I couldn't wait to get up on to normal ground. And no, I have not gone into another cave since then. Nor do I have any plans. Um, but doubt feeds on fear. Ira- irrationality just reigns when that happens. Third thing about uh, doubt. Doubt hinders worship. 
Verse 33, they worshipped him, but Peter wasn't able to do verse 33 when he was afraid and doubting when he was walking on the waves. He couldn't say, you are God's son, when he's all focused on the storm, on his circumstance. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reaches out his hand, takes hold of him and says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Interesting. They're still in the storm. It hasn't stopped yet. And Jesus rebukes Peter. Now, I think, and I, and I think we probably think that Jesus, you know, wants Peter to give the reason. I, I, it's like when I was a kid. Why, you know, my parents would say, why did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I would have known I wouldn't have done it. Well, I, I would have, but, it, but here's the thing. I, he's, I don't think he's asking for the reason he doubted. That was obvious. Uh, uh, he stopped looking at Jesus, and he looked at the storm. But the, what Jesus is asking is not for the reason he doubted, but to what purpose he doubted. What he's asking is, what purpose does doubt serve in your life? What good thing is coming about because of your doubt? Romans 14, 23 says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. One of the hardest verses in the Bible. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I read that and I, I start thinking of all the things that don't proceed from faith but can't be sin. Doubt, and by the way, it, here it means to waver, uh, to be double-minded, it's a similar idea to James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. It says this, if, you, if, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, James 1, verse 5, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Doubt is sin. When you're sinning, you're not worshiping. Now, honest questions are one thing. Doubt is another. Doubt, here's doubt. Doubt is questioning whether God is really in control. That's sin. Doubt is, is questioning whether, whether Jesus really is greater or better than something or someone else. And doubt hinders worship. You can't do it at the same time. Many of us coddle our doubts. It's kind of like a little pet we've got. You know, oh, my doubts. I love to coddle, play with my doubts. And we play with them as if we're, they're not dangerous. It's like carrying a, around a, 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 a grenade in your hand. We need to be rid of doubt so we can walk in victory. Look, let me spell it out for you really simply. God does not want us to doubt. God doesn't want us to doubt. Spell it. We'll spell it. We'll spell it. Okay? So we can really get the message. You know what I'm saying? Get the message. It would be so easy. Wouldn't it be great if it was so easy? Just say, hey, I, I spelled it out. It's, hey, oh, it's, it's, I'm cured. You know, I, don't, I won't doubt anymore. 
So Jesus says to Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Again, not asking for what reason he doubted. That was obvious. He was asking for what purpose does that serve in your life? No good purpose. That's what purpose doubt serves in our life. No good purpose. Jesus is saying, don't go there. Focus on me. And here's what you can do with doubt. Here's what you can change it into something else. God wants us to, uh, we'll use these same, we'll use the same letters. Depend on unchanging biblical truth. That's the way to get out of doubt. So when we focus on God's word, we focus on its truth, we focus on its promises, we then are able to fight against the temptation to doubt. That's why God's word is so important in our lives, among many other reasons. We're to depend on unchanging biblical truth. God's word, applied by his spirit, kills doubt. So let's look at, at, at three things about God's word regarding depending upon on unchanging biblical truth. And it really counteracts doubt. See here, first of all, doubt obscures the truth. But God's word is a constant reminder. A constant reminder. This story is full of God's word to the disciples. In the midst of circumstances, God's word directed them. Three times in this passage you see Jesus speak. Verse 27, he says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Verse 29, he says, come to Peter, there. And then in verse 31, he says of G- to Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And, and you see later, really, that Peter learned his lesson. I'll go take you to two places in Peter. First Peter, chapter 1. Because you see how zeroed in, how locked in Peter is on the word of God. In First and Second Peter, just two places. First Peter one, begin at verse twenty-two. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of the grass. He's quoting Isaiah now. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our Lord stands, remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you, the gospel. Verse, uh, cha- verse 1 of chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow up in respect to salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You go over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Start at verse 16. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Oh, yes, he was in many ways on the Mount of Transfiguration and in other places, but here on the water. He was an eyewitness of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. That's the mountain of transfiguration. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns, the morning star rises in your hearts, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how strong Peter came into God's word and saw God's word. It's this constant dependence upon Jesus that is necessary. It's Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And we do that so we will not lose heart. So we focus on all that God's word promises we're able to fight the temptation to doubt. God's word is a constant reminder. Second thing about God's word here is that, uh, you know, doubt breeds fear, but God's word gives assurance. God's word gives assurance. Think about what he said when he said in verse 27, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. He was telling them the truth. You need to tell yourself the truth. You've got to rehearse it to yourself. God is good. Jesus is Lord. He is with me. He will never leave me. I've experienced with this, by the way. I've experienced um, doing this and seeing it work in my life. I remember uh, being uh, so nervous to go to this one interview once, and I, I uh, you know, 20 some years ago, and I remember Exodus 33:14 being what I kept reminding myself of when God said, I will. Um, I will, my presence will be with you and I will give you rest. I remember being on an airplane once and afraid that the plane was going to crash. It's me. And, uh, and, uh, and I remember Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I must have said that verse, you know, 400 times to myself as I flew. Seriously. Probably not that many, but you know. God's word gives assurance. Um, you know, my little Sophie, my baby, she's eight years old now, but she's always going to be my baby. And, you know, when Angela leaves and goes, you know, to some meeting with someone or whatever, and, and Sophie will always want to call mommy on, the, on her cell phone because she needs to hear mommy's voice. She needs to have that assurance. And it just, and I, we're always going, don't do it. But I, I know why she, she needs that assurance. I'm like, well, daddy's here. And she's like, I know. I'm calling mommy. <laughs> Verse 27, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. You gotta trust God that he'll do his work with his word. First Thessalonians 2.13, how many times have I shared that with you? You receive the word of God, not as the word of man, but what it really is, the word of God that does its work in you who believe. What, what God say in Isaiah 55? My word's gonna come forth from my mouth and it's gonna accomplish. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what, the reason for which I sent it. God's word's going to have its effect in your life. You've got to apply it. Like putting on sunscreen, right? You, gotta, you don't want to sunburn? Put the sunscreen on. You don't want to doubt? Take God's word and, and, and find that assurance. It's like trusting the instruments when you're in fog. It's like, it's like trusting your guide. It's, it's the idea of walking close to Jesus. Knowing the truth breeds confident assurance. I was fishing at Hume Lake this summer. Now, I've gone sometimes and fished and not caught anything. I had a whole week once at Hume Lake. Didn't catch one, one thing. Had a great time. But it's always better if you catch fish. So this summer, Tom Licata and I are in a boat, and, and Scott Gayer and uh, Kyle was, were in a boat, and they're catching fish left hand over fist. We're catching no fish. Tom and I are like, we're lame. <laughs> we don't know how to catch fish. They're catching fish. They're laughing at us. Then they pull up to us. You want to catch some fish? Scott asks me, you want to catch some fish? I'm like, Oh, yeah, I want to catch some fish. That's why I'm out here. He goes, well, here's what you do. And he gives me a couple little secrets. And next thing you know, Tom's right here. He can prove it's true. Just raise your hand if it's true, Tom. We, start, we started catching fish 
left and right. We couldn't stop catching fish. Is that true? It's true. Catch and release. Catch and release. Anyway, uh, you know, why did... But here's the thing. He knew, and we didn't, but once we knew, we had the confidence to do, and it worked. God's word works way better than some fishing technique. Why did Peter sink? Why did he sink? It's a simple answer. He took his eyes off of Jesus, right? He looked at his circumstances instead of Jesus. You got to remind yourself the truth that you know and remind others too. And, and again, the, the Jesus gives this immediate help. He does it three times in this passage. Immediate action to help his disciples. Immediately he puts them in a boat. Protect them from the crowds and themselves. Immediately he speaks to them words of comfort and assurance. And then immediately he stretches out his hand and, and, and saves Peter. Immediate help. By the way, Lord save me is a prayer that Jesus will always answer yes. When it comes from a sincere, humble heart. Last thing, uh, doubt hinders worship, but God's word inspires worship. God's word inspires worship. They got into the boat, the wind ceased, verse 32. Verse 33, those in the boat worshiped him, and they spoke. They said, truly you are the son of God. You're God's son. Now, true worship isn't generated by songs. We don't play songs so people will be uh, worshiping because of the song. Uh, True worship is not generated by songs or other activities. True worship is solely inspired from awe and reverence of God. God extracts worship out of those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's the result of getting a true glimpse of God and a true glimpse of yourself. It flows from the heart to God. It's as the people of God see Christ's holiness and Christ's grace and power, you want to worship him. Not because a song sounds good. But see, God's word received, the word implanted that is able to save our souls, brings that about, generates worship. By the way, Peter, remember when he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out of the water. Since it's you, let me do this. He says, come, and he gets out of the boat. Have you ever thought, who would make a request like that? Well, I'm thinking, the kind of person I want on my team. <laughs> I want him on my fantasy team, you know? He's going to do something. He's risky, but he's going to do something. He's the only one that got out of the boat. And he made mistakes, but he was a man of bold faith. The dude got out of the boat. I would have stayed in. It's like when I'm mountain biking. I, I got into road biking a little bit, but I'm really a mountain biker at heart because I like being on the trails, but I'm, I'm not one of those. There's a few people in here right now that Greg and some others, you guys just go off all these jumps. Not me. See, when I, I used to go with three, three, uh, two friends, Bill and, uh, and Doug and me, and uh, not Doug Roller. Uh, he's not that brave. No, uh, no. Yes, he is, he is, he is. But Bill and Doug and, and me, and Doug would be going down as fast as he could down the hill. Bill would be going second, and I would be breaking the whole, breaking, maybe like 20 minutes later, oh, there you are, you know, because I was taking my time really, ooh, too cautious. I want Peter in my boat. I want, I, I, don't you want him on your team? So how did Jesus respond? Jesus responded lovingly to Peter's doubts, and graciously, but firmly too. He dealt with Peter's issue. He does with us as well. Jesus reminded him of the truth. Jesus gave him assurance, and he inspired worship. Now, we, we need to do that with other people, too. We need to reassure. We don't need to 
bash the person doubting. We need to reassure the person doubting. Uh, Jude 20 tells us that, 20 through 22. Uh, have mercy on those who doubt. Um, but Peter was corrected, and he was, re- he was rebuked while Jesus was holding him up in the waves before it stopped, before the storm stopped. And, um, and I think that's amazing. But I want to point out the high point of this story. I know we, don't have, we only have like a minute left, but there, a high point of this story, verse 27. You can really see this story as kind of a two-part act. Part one about Jesus, part two about Peter, and then verse 27 in the middle, and really two Greek words. Ego, a me. The statement that Jesus makes. It's in the exact middle of this story. Uh, there's about 90 Greek words on both sides of this. So this is the pinnacle of this story. Uh, it, it's the one phrase at the high point. It's when Jesus says, it is I. Okay? When he says, it is I. But what is he saying? He's saying much more than you think he's saying. He isn't just saying, hey, it's me, Jesus. Not some little ID thing like he's showing his card. Look, it's me. It really is me. Not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Ego, a me. Literally, I am. That's what he said. I am. He says, you know, basically, I'm God. It, it takes you right back to Exodus Three in the burning bush, Moses. Oh, well, what should I say when they? What, what do I say to the people when when they when they ask me who sent you? He says, "I tell them I am sent you. Tell them that the self-existing one sent you. This is divine revelation along the lines of Isaiah six. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is Jesus opening up the floodgates of heaven." This is the gospel of the grace of God in Christ right here. This is Isaiah 43, 1 through 4. Now says the Lord, he he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you, for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, and I love you. God says, I am. Jesus says, I am. No other word is necessary. And his, his people respond in worship and say, yes, you are. You are. See, the last verse, you are the Son of God. Our only hope. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that uh, even though there are other things that aren't reliable that we often trust in, thank you that we have such good reason to put our faith in Christ and not have little faith in him. Thank you that Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead and will return. Lord, give us grace to depend on that unchanging biblical truth. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.